0: Not long ago, Marsh and I were visiting with some fellow sailors and everyone kind of telling their tales. And whenever that happens, of course, you always begin to try to outdo the other person with the challenges you faced. And we were all talking about it. And, you know, I've told you about some of the experiences we've had sailing from Annapolis to Bermuda, 46-foot sailboat caught in a storm. Or sailing up from Fort Lauderdale to Boston offshore. But you know, as, as she and I got to reflecting on it, we finally realized, you know, the, the closest we've ever come to being hurt, the closest we've ever come to being killed, was not offshore, but it was actually in a small marina. It was about eight years ago that we were down in St. Lucia in a little bay called Marigot Bay. It is just picturesque and beautiful. I mean, on one end you have a hotel, there's a nice boardwalk and you have some shops, there's a lovely dock, there's a charter boat company that rents sailboats, there's, there's palm trees and beaches, it's just like you'd expect. And we were down there, and we were anchored there in this little bay. And if you're doing that, then the way you get from your boat to shore is by what's called a dinghy. It's a small little boat, maybe 10, 12 feet long, it has a small engine on it and that's what transports you back and forth. It's kind of like a tinder if you've ever been on a cruise ship. So we were one day had to need to get some groceries and we left the boat and we were kind of puttering on up to the dock. It was such a beautiful day. I mean it's hard not to feel just good and alive. And as we we're slowly motoring along, suddenly I heard this roar of an engine and I looked off to the side and what had happened was there was a, a boat that was also a dinghy, but a much bigger one. And it was used to run errands around the bay, had some big motors on it, had a young man in it, and he was hot dogging it. He was going to have fun and just go racing across the bay, and he gave it full throttle. Well, if you know much about boating, if you're in a small boat like that and you're back at the back and you give it the gas, the bow, the front of the boat, just kind of comes up until the boat can finally start to plane. And so he gave it the gas and that roared up and it started picking up speed and running across. And he didn't see us. And I looked up and he's coming straight at us. And I'm looking at the bottom of this boat racing towards us. And I know that within a matter of seconds, we're gonna to have to do something or he will T-bone us. We are going to be hit broadside. I'm sure you've heard it just as I have many accidents that happen. People out on our lakes here in Oklahoma, boats running into one another, and people get injured and killed. And I looked up at this and I see it coming, and my first thought is: do I try to speed up? Do I turn? Do I try to go backwards? It's only going to be a couple split seconds, and I'm thinking, I don't know what this person's going to do. I might back up and they turn, or I go forward, they turn. I didn't know what to do, so I I just kind of left us where we were and I began to scream at the top of my lungs, waving my hat and screaming. Now you've heard me talk, but you hadn't heard me scream. (laughs) I can scream. And I was screaming literally for my life, hollering. But I knew the engines were right there. I wasn't sure he'd hear anything. Someone else on shore saw what was going on. They too started screaming and waving their hands at him. And by the grace of God, he started to think maybe something is wrong. He had no idea what, but made the decision to veer off just to do something because he didn't know what was happening. And so at the very last moment, he turned and came right behind us and missed us. Well, as soon as he had gone by, I jumped to my feet and now I am screaming at the top of my lungs, waving my fist at him. I'm very grateful there was no one on shore filming all of this as it was happening. It probably was not my most ministerial moment. But my heart was pounding. I'd had one of those adrenaline dumps where it just flows through your veins. My hands were literally shaking. My heart was pounding. And it's like, it was so close. It could have been such a serious accident. In the end, I sat back down. We motored right on up to the shore, climbed out onto the dock. In just a moment, I saw a man coming down the dock. Turned out it was this young man who had driven around and docked the boat. Came back down and said, Captain, Captain, I'm so very sorry. I'm so very sorry. It was all my fault. It was my fault. Can you please forgive me?" In that moment I wasn't in a forgiving spirit. (laughs) No, in that moment I wanted to explain to him very clearly what he was doing and how it was so dangerous and how it was so irresponsible, how he had almost killed us. Oh, I explained it very clearly to him what I thought about that moment and he just stood and listened and finally he said, Captain, it's all my fault, I'm so very sorry. Can you forgive me? I don't remember what I said at that moment, whether I did or not. I just know Marsh and I went on in to go get our groceries. I was so angry. Closest we ever come to being hurt or really killed. Got back in the little boat, came back out, and a couple days later, we left. That was at Thanksgiving. It was the next year in February, You know, I like to try to take a week off before I start a new sermon series. Before Lent, Easter, you read, you prepare. You need just a little time away to kind of work and gather the material and figure out where you're going. And so we went back to Marigold Bay and back to St. Lucia. Back out on a boat there in the bay. I like getting up early in the morning. I like to see the sun come up. You're so quiet. It's all alone. There are no phones. I get a cup of coffee, I sit there and I just read. To me, it's a very productive and holy time. I had really enjoyed myself working in all these sermons for for Lent and Easter and finally had gotten through and kind of walked along the side of the boat back to the back of the boat, the stern. And it's a scoop out back, a couple steps down. I took a couple steps, got down right by the water just to appreciate the gift of God's creation in that morning. And I'm sitting right there when along comes a little boat puttering along. I didn't recognize the man. People come by all the time to sell you limes and coconuts and whatever. So I wasn't surprised. I came up, he threw a line to me, I grabbed hold of it, and he pulled up close to the boat and he said, Captain, I'm really hoping we can get started on a better foot this new year. And I thought, what is he talking about? Who is this? And then he said, I really am sorry, Captain. It was all my fault. Can you forgive me? I knew who this was. I knew who this was. I just had been working on a sermon about Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. (laughs) I knew what I was going to be telling you to do. It's always hard when Scripture speaks to you of that kind of a moment. And I looked at him and I said, yes, I forgive you. But I tell you, you should have seen my eyes, how big they were. When I saw the bottom of that boat heading straight towards, I can't tell you how what I must have looked like. And then he said, I wish you could have seen my eyes when I swerved and suddenly saw you right there and realized what could have happened. And so I laughed and he laughed and we started recounting the story and how oh, I'm so grateful that, I'm so grateful for that I'm so thankful for this and we were laughing and talking his name was Darian turned out he was a wonderful young man very smart very articulate hard-working he was a nice person and in that moment we became friends I went up onto the dock and I started meeting him every day. We'd go have a cup of coffee. We would visit. He would come and help. He was just a nice guy. And I couldn't help but think, it's a friendship that I almost missed. If he hadn't taken the initiative to ask for forgiveness, if I hadn't found it within to offer forgiveness, then we were going to exist in strife there in that place. But instead, we found peace, and we were joined together in one." I think that's what Paul was trying to say to the Colossians. You see, they were a church that had come together of such different people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. You know, there were slaves and free. There was male and female and young and old and rich and poor. They were so diverse it came together to form this church. And he knew there would be strife. There would be arguments. There would be disagreements. There's going to be hurt feelings. And what he was trying to say to him was, we're called to be one body. To remember the one body to which we are called. And the way that we can finally be one body is if we remember to give thanks, and if we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. This morning I want to continue on with the sermon series, Give Thanks in All Circumstances. Because as I said when we first started this series, I really think that you and I are living in a time where we really need to learn how to come back together as one. We're so divided. There's so much anger. We're so sharp, quick to respond to people. I'm concerned that we literally are living with a COVID PTSD. I thought we'd be living in a time of just great joy and everybody's happy and wanting to party. Not the case. There's such anger and people responding. And we're so hard with one another. And I can't change what everybody else is feeling out there and what they're doing, but I can do something about what's going on in here. And it's why we have asked you, would you... Take the time each day in your gratitude journal to write down three to five things, whether it's in the morning or at night. I can tell you I've been doing this, and you know this last week was kind of a really busy week and where some long, full days, and I have to say when I got home sometime late in the evening, I was getting ready for bed, and it would suddenly hit me, you haven't written down your three to five things you're thankful for. And at those moments, I didn't feel very thankful. But I had the discipline to sit down and go, no, we're going to do this. And I began to write them down. And I'd write them, and then I'd think about them. I'd pray about them. And I can just tell you, in a short period of time, a 10-minute period of time, I could go from being tired and depressed to feeling grateful, to feeling so much better before I was about to go to bed. I want us to prepare ourselves for Thanksgiving, for the Christmas season, for the beginning of the year 2022. It can be different. So I hope you'll be disciplined as you start living in a spirit of thanksgiving. Because as Paul said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and give thanks. That's what I want us to think about this morning. What happens if you and I will do that? I think three things can happen. One, when you let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, you're going to find yourself just becoming kind. Rather than angry, sharp, critical, you'll find yourself becoming kind. It just comes naturally. When the peace of Christ rules in your heart, you know, this last week we lost a real patriot here in our country, Colin Powell. And I've told you for years, I've been a great fan of Colin Powell. I love so many of his stories. He is a man who has been great faith. He is a man who has served his country and he has been a real man of kindness. You know, he's born in New York, New York City there in the Bronx. He grew up, went to college and when he graduated college, he had been a part of ROTC. He got a commission as a second lieutenant. And he would go from second lieutenant to a four-star general. He would become the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff. That's the highest ranking military person that we can have. Incredible success. He, in the end, would be asked by George Bush to be the first Secretary of State, first African-American Secretary of State. He commanded such respect, literally, around the world. You know, I, I was a great fan of Colin Powell and... And I love so many of the stories he had to tell about his life. But the one that I was thinking of for this morning, he told of when years ago, almost 50 years ago, he was stationed in Washington. And he was very involved in an Episcopal church there in Virginia. As I said, he was a man of faith. He was always in church. So much so that his church elected him to be lay leader. And in that area, his church, if you were the lay leader, then you were the person who would deal with the bishop of that area. And he tells about how one day he got a call from the bishop saying, I have a priest that needs to go somewhere for a year in order to heal. I would like to appoint him to your church if you would receive him. And Colin Powell said, yes, sir. If you want to appoint someone here for a year, then we'd be very happy to receive them. Colin said, he didn't say why he needed to heal, and I didn't ask him. So the man came. He said he was a wonderful man. He came. We enjoyed having him. We all got to know him. It, It was so much fun. We loved eating with him. We loved worshiping with him. We studied scripture with him. We were in missions with him. He just fit right in. No one knew what he needed to heal from, what grief he may have experienced. He didn't say. We didn't ask. The year went by so quickly. He said, we hated to see it come to an end. But when it came to the end, when he had been there for a year and it was his last Sunday, he was asked to bring the sermon. And Colin Powell said, that sermon has affected the way that I live life for the last 50 years. He said, I don't remember the scripture. I don't remember exactly what the sermon was about. All I remember is the last line of the sermon." Because the priest stood up and said, Remember, always show more kindness than seems necessary, because the person receiving it needs it more than you'll ever know. Always show more kindness than seems necessary. He said, I've tried to do that for the last 50 years. if you let the peace of Christ rule in your heart it is so much easier to be kind rather than angry and sharp and to make the decision to be kinder than seems necessary that's when you start to bless life that's what Paul was asking for in this early church you who are so different trying to call you together to be there for each other. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Secondly, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and give thanks. When you go back and read this whole passage right now, in this chapter here in Paul's letter to the Colossians, you'll see that he's talking about a lot of things. Put on the word of Christ, let Christ rule in your heart, put on the Spirit... And right in the middle of that he says, and give thanks. It almost kind of seems out of place. And the way that the line of thought is working, it would be, except theologically, it makes perfect sense. If you are the person who lives in a spirit of gratitude, then you open your heart to know the peace of Christ. If you're not living in gratitude, if it's all about self, if it's about selfishness, again, if it's about anger, you're not going to experience the peace of Christ. It's why I'm pushing us hard to be disciplined at this time to be working to live in a spirit of gratitude for it will open your heart to the peace of Christ. And then how we treat one another is so different. Pauline Jacoby, She lives up in Memphis, Tennessee. True story. She's 92 years old. And she's still living on her own. She's a widow. She lives in her own house. She has her own car. She goes where she needs to go. She's a member of First Baptist Church there in Memphis. She's a real lady of faith. Just like I say, very sharp, on her own, doing what she needs to do. A while back, she was going to the grocery store. She was going to Walmart to get some groceries. And as she went to Walmart, and she went to gro- got in grocery shop, came back out, put in the groceries, got in her car, and the traffic was just packed in Walmart. You know what that's like sometimes, trying to get out of the parking lot, all these cars. She's a very careful driver. She was waiting her turn. She wasn't going to push it. She's sitting there when suddenly the car door opens up and a man jumps in. And this man jumped in and shouted, Give me your money! And Pauline looked over him and said, No. give me your money. I have a gun. No. He said, I have a gun. I will shoot you and kill you. And she said, son, if you pull that trigger, I'm going straight to heaven and you're going straight to hell. (laughs) God wants more for your life than this. Now, what's your name? It shocked him so much that he took back and went, Rusty? <laughs> oh, Rusty, God wants more for your life than this. And she starts talking to him. She starts talking. We know because there is footage from the camera there in the parking lot um, that is showing. Here's a car, car door open, man jumps in, dark car closes. And, and we know that it was 12 minutes before the person got back out of the car. I mean, they sat there and had a long conversation together. She started saying, do you understand? Jesus is with me wherever I go. Wherever I go drive, he is with me. He is with me right now. And she said, I started looking around. Mm-hmm. Now, God wants more for your life than this. I think we need to pray about it. By now, he is kind of hanging his head and he said, I'll I'll go home and pray about it," she said. "No, no, we're going to pray about it right now." And so she offered up a prayer. Oh God, please forgive him. May he know your love and your grace. Show him where you want him to go in his life and what he can be. And she prays this beautiful prayer. And she said, "When we opened our eyes, there were tears streaming down his cheek." She then reached into her purse to pull out what money she had. She had $10. That was all she had left on her. She pulled out $10, and she offered it to him. He's going, no, no, I can't take that. (laughs) She said, you're not taking it. I am giving it to you because I want to give it to you. And he looked at her, and again, he was just crying, and finally he reaches out and takes it, And she said, he then leaned in and kissed me on the cheek. And he said, thank you. Thank you. And he opened the door and he slowly walked away. To be someone who can be grateful for the presence of Christ in your life, to know that presence in your life, to let the peace of Christ dwell in your heart. You choose to treat one another differently. That's what Paul was asking for out of the Colossians. He's trying to say, do you understand you really do need each other? You need each other. So be kind. Be thankful. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and so third when we are thankful and we let the peace of christ rule in our hearts that's when we remember the one body that we are called into again paul is writing to the colossians in a difficult time in history i mean this is a time in history when life is cheap the roman government they struggle with the jewish authorities but they struggle with their health there was no hospitals to go to no antibiotics People die quickly and young. Quite often you face hunger, the insecurities. Life was hard and Paul knew it and was trying to say to the early church, we are called into one body to be there for each other. It isn't just about you making it with Christ. It's about us making it together because we do need each other. And in our culture, and our world right now, it's one of the things that we tend to ignore and forget. This isn't just about me. It is about us and all the people who need one another. What does it mean to be the one body that remembers we are called into it? You can do that when you are thankful. And the peace of Christ rules in your heart. Because you're kind, that's where you're going to find meaning. It's where you find joy. You, you may have seen an announcement recently. It's about a man named Fadil Bayari. Fadil Bayari lives over in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Just a small little blip, but it was it was talking about their building a children's hospital over in Northwest Arkansas in Fayetteville. And it was Fadil and his family, his adult children, they all had gotten together and decided to make a donation. And they gave a million dollars to help build this children's hospital. Well, I started reading a little more about him and found out some fascinating things about this man who is Palestinian, uh, Muslim, American. He was born actually in the West Bank. Grew up there in Palestine. And... In 1967 because of the war he saw the hatred between the Jews, Palestinians and he just knew this was not going to be where his future would be. So he wanted to come to the United States. His father couldn't afford to send him to college but he said I heard that if you go to America they will let you work and you're able to earn your way through college. And so his father helped him get an airline ticket. That's how much they could come up with and he flew to Chicago when he was 19 years old in 1971 went to Chicago. Enrolled in Roosevelt University and he got a job at McDonald's. It was a place on the south side of Chicago that he could get hired. He was working helping to clean up and do what he could but he was so industrious and hard-working and focused they soon made him an assistant manager. He did so well that they soon made him a manager. He was learning the restaurant business. through a whole series of things that would happen, he would ultimately get offered to run a restaurant there in Fayetteville, Arkansas called Waffle Hut. Not Waffle House, but Waffle Hut. It was a chain of three or four different restaurants spread across that part of Arkansas. So by now he was married and had some children. Years had gone by. He picked them up and came to Fayetteville, Arkansas. In that day, I think it's fair to say there probably wasn't a thriving Palestinian Muslim community in that part of Fayetteville, Arkansas. However, because Walmart was growing and Fayetteville was booming, there was growth happening. So he moved in and he was very excited about his new community. Wanted to be a part. He ran that restaurant. But what he really wanted to do was get into construction. There was so much building going on in Fayetteville. He wanted to get in the construction business. And he had a Man who came to the restaurant all the time. His name was Willard Walker, and he was a commercial and realist and residential developer. He's probably thirty-five years older than um, than he was, but he was so kind, and Fadil would go and sit and have breakfast, and they would talk, and and Willard just kind of took him under his wing. Like he's going to try to help him along and try to teach him everything he needed to know. He was so hungry and so wanting to know and do this. He'd been coming for several years before Fadil discovered that Willard and Ann had been some of the original investors with Sam Walton in Walmart. He said, I did not realize this man was really, really, really rich. He was so down to earth and just so kind so they had breakfast for years. He had been learning and saying how, what he wanted to do. And one day Willard said, I want you to come to my home. I want to show you. I'm working on a whole new project, commercial, residential. He went to his house. He was showing him this map of what he was doing. And then he said to him, okay, if you could choose any lot and you were going to develop something, just tell me now, what would you do? So Fidel looked at it hypothetically to say, well, if I could do anything, I would choose this lot. Here's what I would build. Here's what I would try to do. He said, I noticed that Ann, his wife, left the room. I heard her typing in another room. And then she came back and gave something to Willard. He signed it. Then she signed it. And then he handed it to me and said, here's a deed for that piece of property. It's now yours. Go build your first building. He couldn't believe it. And so he did. He then started the Fadil Bayari Construction Company. Today, it is a multi-million dollar business. He has been incredibly successful with all the growth going on in Fayetteville, the way he knew how to now manage it. He did so well. But he's a man who lives out of gratitude. He has never forgotten what Willard Walker did for him and he wants to do it for others. So he and his family made that gift of a million dollars to the children's hospital. But I got to reading and learned what he had done a number of years before in one of these subdivisions. They had wanted to start a school, an elementary school for children, didn't have any land, didn't have enough money. So he gave them a piece of property and then he helped to fund it. It's now called uh, Fadil Bayari elementary school but he didn't just do it I mean he shows up at the school all the time to talk to the children to try to encourage them reading books he is a part of the school and these children's lives and has been doing that now for years what I found was he actually then built the first mosque in Fayetteville Arkansas and then he got the job of helping to build two different churches but what I really loved was the project about 10 years ago when he was at Rotary. And at Rotary he was talking to a friend of his who was Jewish and heard that the Jewish community was trying to build a worship center, a temple, that they had been worshiping for 27 years in rented spaces. And now they were trying to raise money and they hadn't been able to raise enough and they were struggling with zoning there in the city. And Fadil went home and began praying about it talking to his wife and his children. And then he came back and said, I want to talk to the president of of your Jewish community. And he said, I would like to offer my services and I will do it for free. My service would be about $250,000. I will help, I will GC this for free. Well, the people were just blown away. They all got to visit with Fidel. Such a wonderful guy. They all hit it off. They were very excited about this possibility. Well, now it inspired them to go out and raise more money. And now they went out and began interviewing architectural firms. And they found the firm that they all really liked. And after they had chosen the firm, they found out they all went to the same Episcopal church. And when these Episcopalians found out what Fidel was doing for free, they offered their architectural services for free. So now you had a Christian architect working with a Palestinian Muslim contractor to build the Jewish temple. And so they did. They built it and it is wonderful and they've been using it now for the last 10 years and it's become such a community center that people will use. When they were asking Fadil, you know, why he had done this and I thought his answer was great. He said... We are all children of God, aren't we? Back home in the old country there is so much hatred between the Palestinians and the Jews and there's so much violence. I didn't want that to be the case in my new home. In my new home I wanted us to understand that we could live together and love together and help each other. So I wanted to do something that would help us to understand and love each other. And I have been so blessed. And I am so grateful, I wanted to be a blessing. Remember to give thanks. It begins to open your heart. They built a temple. And by the way, the name of the temple is Temple Shalom, which means Temple of Peace. remember to give thanks and let the peace of God rule in your hearts so that we are reminded of the one body that we are called into. It is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.